Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Let me tell you about Christian Community Credit Union's new Cash Rewards Visa credit card. It has many of the perks you'd expect with typical reward cards. Unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase, plus a $200 bonus when you spend $750 in the first three months. But what makes this Cash Rewards Visa different from typical credit cards is that when you use it, you're also giving back to Christian charities. As a nonprofit, revenue generated by using the card goes to building and expanding churches, spreading the good news of Jesus to remote areas, providing disaster relief, giving hope to vulnerable children, ending modern slavery and human trafficking, and so much more. To learn more about Christian Community Credit Union's world-class cash rewards visa, please visit myccu.com slash c-suite. Again, that's myccu.com slash c-suite. Proud to announce that a new group of Christian executives started meeting on Wednesday, June 7th, and this group is looking for additional members. Be the first and only from your industry to join the group. To learn more, visit fuelingsales.com and click on the Nehemiah Groups tab. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the C-Suite for Christ podcast. I am your host, Paul M. Neuberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ. And boy, hottie, it is a blessing to have you join us today. And I got to tell you, I'm in an especially good mood today, not just because it's C-Suite for Christ podcast day and not even just because you're joining us, although I certainly appreciate both. But if you've been following our ministry on social media, there are some truly amazing things going on these days. I'll I'll just tell you two of them, just because with all the good stuff that uh, God has blessed us with, I probably could go on for about seven weeks, but I'll just uh, hit two things and make this fairly quick. One, if you uh, follow us on LinkedIn, you'll probably have seen some of these announcements. But first of all, if you do not follow us on LinkedIn, would you please prayerfully consider changing that? Just where it says search up at the top, of the LinkedIn homepage, just type in C-Suite for Christ. Our business page will show up. Just click the follow button and you'll be getting our daily content and all the posts that we do. And we'd certainly appreciate your support. But one of the things that was pretty amazing is just about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe maybe even closer to a month, we hit 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. Praise God for that. And in the ensuing weeks since then, we're now at about 103,500. Truly amazing to see what God is doing through this ministry. And it's been unbelievable. Now, not to say that we're in competition with anybody, because we're not. We're all on Team Christ. 
But Samaritan's Purse, I believe that's a billion-dollar nonprofit. They're all over the world. It's probably one of the most well-known Christian nonprofits on the planet. They've only got 100,000 followers. So we've got more followers than Samaritan's Purse. Another one, too, the Version Bible app. I, I have that on my phone. Apparently, they've got almost 500 million downloads on the smart devices, on phones, on tablets, on iPads, etc. Half a billion downloads of the Version Bible app, and they only have 101,000 followers on LinkedIn. So again, this isn't a competition. We're all on Team Christ, but it is pretty neat to see that our humble ministry, C-Suite for Christ, has more followers on LinkedIn than both the Version Bible app as well as Samaritan's Purse. So we really appreciate your support and would love it if you're not following us that you would change that. The other thing is, too, in addition to the 103,500 or so followers, I've also announced the creation of three brand new chapters just in the last three weeks. We're averaging in the last month or so one chapter a week. That is unbelievable. We've never seen growth like this in the history of our ministry. Three weeks ago, we announced the Washington, D.C. DMV chapter. The week thereafter, we announced the Charleston, South Carolina chapter. And then the week after that, we announced the Dayton, Ohio chapter. And believe it or not, I've got several more that we're going to be announcing here in the next couple of weeks. So just so many great things going on with this ministry. It is hard to be in a bad mood with all of these fantastic things coming and uh, really appreciate your support and all that you're doing to make this possible. But please follow us on LinkedIn. Go to our website if you want to learn more, which is csweetforchrist.com. But we've got an awful lot going on in our effort to cover the world in Christ. I, I did mention that a couple weeks ago I did announce the creation of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter. Well, that's who today's special guest is going to be, Cheryl Gulo. She is the chapter president of that new chapter. She is off and running. Let me tell you this, tons of interest in what she's got going on. She's already signing up new members, and it's still going to be probably two months, three months before she has her first gathering. So it is incredible to see that palpable excitement. And I think once you listen to what Cheryl has to say, you're going to see why not only she's generating so much excitement, but why I'm so incredibly confident that hers is going to be a very successful chapter in terms of allowing the local business executives to live boldly and unapologetically for Christ. So today I want to just kind of hit you with a couple of different scenarios here and have you kind of weigh in on your thoughts in terms of what you would do and how likely you think these individuals in question are going to be successful. But, but what I wanted to do is I, I just wanted to think of three situations, you know, three situations that might provoke stress, three situations that might provoke anxiety, three situations that you really don't want to find yourself in, but it's going to force you to react. So it's not it's not so much do you react, because you're going to have to in all these situations. It, it, it's more about how you react. What would you do if you found yourself in these stressful situations, in these challenging circumstances? So again, I got three. I like to do everything in three. I've been like that ever since I was in high school, I guess. And one of my teachers at the time said, you know, life should be done in threes because once is an anomaly, a random occurrence, twice is a coincidence, but thrice is a pattern. If you can do something three times, now you got a pattern on your hands here. The law of science only needs an experiment to be done three times. If you can successfully get a certain result 
in a science experiment or in a laboratory three times, okay, the burden of proof has been met. You've achieved something or you've eradicated a disease or whatever it is. So I love to do everything in threes. And it just so happens that OCD has three letters also. So I guess that works out really well for me. But 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 and I think this is a situation that we can all relate to, whether it be in grade school, middle school, high school, college, whatever. You got a big test. You got a big test in the morning. Now, again, we're all busy in life. We got a ton of stuff going on, both personally and professionally. And again, if you're like me, and I hate to admit it, but this is still the case. I'm a bit of a procrastinator, and it's hard not to. Like when you when you look at, and I'm sure your life is absolutely no different, but when you look at my life, I've got three children, all 10 or under. My wife is a stay-at-home mom, so you know there's a lot of stuff that I like to to assist her with. Uh, you know, from errands and whatever else. I run multiple businesses, including being the leader of this ministry. I'm an international keynote speaker, so I travel a lot. Plus, I, you know, I, I do try to have some fun on the side with my own pursuits. There's a lot going on. Well, if, if this proposal is due in two weeks, they'll probably get it in about two weeks. If the speech is in a month, I'm probably going to start thinking about it a few days beforehand. Procrastination happens, and there was a TED Talk that I saw recently that actually said procrastination brings out the best in us. Like it actually, you know, sharpens your focus or whatever. I'm not sitting here saying that I would advocate that, but it's always interesting. So again, let's say we got a big test coming up. We're busy. We got sports. We got all these other things going on. Next thing we know, it's the night before the test. Crap. We haven't studied yet. Crap. Haven't uh, opened the book yet. Crap. Haven't reviewed my notes from this past semester. Obviously, nobody wants to fail. Obviously, nobody wants to get a bad grade. Obviously, everybody wants to do fairly well. So now you say, okay, I got this evening available. I'm going to prepare for the exam tomorrow. I'm going to do what I need to do to put myself in a position to get a very good grade. So you sit down in your room. You clear your throat. You turn the phone off. And you start doing jumping jacks. All night long jumping jacks you've got several hours before you got to go to bed and you say man i, I gotta ace this test so i'm gonna do jumping jacks jumping jacks by the minute jumping jacks by the hour jumping jacks all night and because you know somebody could do a lot of jumping jacks in a short amount of time by the time you go to bed you're sweaty you're exhausted your heart rate is at like 130 bpm maybe you've done i don't know four thousand jumping jacks your calves are burning, and you're like, man, I'm ready to go. Take a shower, go to bed, you wake up, you go down to, to take your test, you open it up, and you're thinking, what in the heck is this? I don't remember this. I never saw this. I don't know anything about this, and you get an F. But then you're thinking, well, wait a minute. I did jumping jacks all night. Why didn't I pass this? I did jumping jacks all night. Well, why didn't the answers to this math exam come to me? I did jumping jacks all night. Why didn't I ace this test? Your response to the big test was to do jumping jacks. That's how you spent your time. That's how you spent your energy. That's how you spent your resources. And you're stunned that you bombed the test. Let's talk about another example. Maybe you have a big job interview. Maybe it's the current organization that you work with and they're thinking about promoting you. Maybe it's a completely different organization. Better pay, better title closer to home, 
Maybe it's that stepping stone to that ultimate dream job that is now ever so much closer, especially if you can land this gig. Great benefits. And kind of the same thing, you know, life is busy, whatever. You, 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 you've, you've checked out the organization's website a little bit. You've seen them on LinkedIn a little bit. You have kind of gone through your head a little bit, maybe some of the questions that they're going to ask you and how you're going to respond. But now, again, the, the, the job interviews the next day, and now you're starting to feel it. Now you're starting to get a little nervous. Now you're starting to put that pressure on yourself. Now it's starting to come into focus to say, hey, this is going to be a big day tomorrow. There's kind of a lot riding on this. You know, you only have one chance to make a favorable first impression. People usually find out within about 10 seconds whether or not they like you. No pressure. And especially if you really want something, too, you put more pressure on yourself. So your palms may be a little bit more sweaty. Your mind may go blank a little bit more. Now you're starting to think, okay, I, I should at least dig a little bit deeper into this organization. I should at least do, you know, a little bit more research. I should at least be ready to answer the questions that are thrown at me. So again, it's the night before the big interview. You've got a couple hours before you got to turn in for the night. You want to go to bed early so you can wake up early, be refreshed, have a nice breakfast, whatever you need to do to prepare for that interview. So you sit down at your home office desk and you're thinking, okay, now I got to prepare for that interview tomorrow. So what do you do? You start chewing gum. Lots of gum. Maybe you put in that one piece of bubblicious. And you know, the thing about gum is when you first put it in your mouth, oh my goodness, it, the, the flavors are bursting. It's juicy. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's just like a party in your mouth and everybody's invited. But then what happens with gum, you know, it starts to lose its flavor. If you buy the really cheap crap, it'll lose its flavor within about 20 seconds. Uh, you, you pop another one, then another one. You spit one out, you pop another one. And you're thinking, man, I really, really, really want to nail this interview tomorrow. So you're chewing harder. You're chewing more fervently. You're putting more big old sticks and blocks and bricks of bubble gum in your mouth. And your jaw is getting sore. And you're thinking, I'm never going to be able to open my mouth again because it's just that up and down motion in your jaw. But I really want this job. So I'm going to chew harder. I'm going to chew faster. I'm going to put more in my mouth. I'm just really going to give this chewing the gum everything I have because, boy, Boy, howdy, I want to ace that interview tomorrow. So you go to bed, you can barely open your jaw. I mean, your, your jaw is going to be sore for a week. Go to bed, get up early, have a nice breakfast through a straw, obviously, because you can't open your mouth anymore. You show up and you get asked a, a simple question like, well, why did you want to work here? Well, you don't have an answer because you didn't do a whole lot of research about the organization. Or they start peppering you with some some questions about this specific role and some of the specific duties and some of the, the aspects of their corporate culture. And you don't have a good answer because you haven't spent a whole lot of time doing that. But then when the interview is done and you feel self-conscious, I bombed it. Oh, my gosh. I, I just didn't know the answers to these things. You're confused. Wait a minute. How could this be? I chewed bubble gum all night. I chewed bubblegum well. I chewed bubblegum like a champ. If there was a varsity bubblegum team, I would totally be the captain of that team. Why did this interview go so bad? I responded to the job interview by chewing bubblegum like I've never chewed bubblegum before. Why did the interview bomb? Let's do a third one. This will be the final example, but you're, you're, you're driving along in your car, and maybe, maybe you're about, I don't know, 10 minutes from home, and you start hearing a clunkety, clunk, clunk, clunkety, clunk, clunk, clunkety in your engine. Now, you'd always maybe been like a little, 
And it's like, that that don't sound right. Now it goes from a home to a clunkety clunk, and you're thinking, oh, geez, this is not good. I hope I can get home. By the grace of God, you do get home. But, man, this is a loud noise. This doesn't sound good. There's got to be something wrong with my engine. The, the, the nearest car dealership or the nearest repair shop is like 15 minutes away. And, and you're worried I'm not even going to be able to get my car there. So, you know, rather than calling the tow truck service or rather than calling the mobile handyman, because those things can be expensive. Plus, do I really trust these people? I don't really know. You decide to look at the engine yourself. So you, you pop it open and you're looking at the engine. Now, maybe you've had a car repair shop 101 a couple of years ago. Maybe you had a, a parent or a family member that was pretty good. They changed their own oil. They showed you where the spark plugs were. And so you, you've got like a, a basic level understanding of what's going on in the engine. Now, if I open it up, I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably have a stroke. I don't know. I don't even know how to put in my own windshield wiper fluid. If there's an apocalypse, I'm dead in five seconds. You know, like you ever watch those TV shows like Walking Dead or, you know, something like the like um, uh, was it 2012 or whatever, like the end of the world thriller movies. If if anything like that happens, like there's a massive plague or we're invaded by aliens or there's zombies, I'll be dead in four seconds. I, my survival instincts suck. I'd walk up right to a zombie. Hello, friend. Can I can I talk to you? And it bites me in the neck. So I, I would I wouldn't know anything about this engine, but you're smarter than me. So I'm going to pretend that you do. So you open it up and you're like, OK, I've got a basic understanding of what's going on. I want to fix this clunkety clunk. I want to diagnose the problem and I want to do this myself so I don't have to pay an exorbitant amount of money. So you say, well, you know, I, I got to get to work tomorrow. I got to drive the kids to soccer practice. I got to get this fixed now. So what do you do? You take out your favorite storybook. And you read it to your car. Maybe it's a love romance novel. Maybe it's a one of those spy thrillers. If you're anything like me, I love politics. I love biographies. So I'm always reading biographies on the presidents. I'm reading biographies on famous historical figures. I got Napoleon coming up. That should be fun. I, I don't even know a lot about that era. So I'm looking forward to learning more about him as a person, the era that he was involved in, stuff like that. But you're reading the book to the engine, and you're thinking, I really got to get this car fixed. So rather than just reading for five minutes, I'm going to read for six hours. And I'm not just going to read like, then he went over there. I'm going to read, then he walked to the corner. And when he got to the corner, the man with the trench coat was there, and he said, Spike, how did you get here? How did you find me? Egads, man. Spike from his trench coat removed a Tommy gun and turned the page. I'm, I'm going to put my heart and soul into this. I'm going to read with a certain cadence. I'm going to be like the voiceover king of the world. So that's what you do for the next couple hours. You read more pages. You read more chapters. You read as if your very life depended on it. You read as if you're narrating one of the greatest movies in the world that's going to be seen by billions and billions of people. And when you finish with that 300-page book, it's 11 at night, you go to bed. But you're feeling okay because when you wake up in the morning, you say, hey, that's how I reacted to the salute. That's how I reacted to the problem. The engine's going to be fine. We're going to take the kids to school and soccer practice, everything else. You load up everybody. You got a busy day. You're going to be driving all over town. You turn on the key, and what you hear is, and the car won't start. And you're so frustrated. Wait a minute. I don't understand. 
I spent hours with the engine last night. I spent hours reading that storybook. I spent hours, you know, cough drops and everything else because I was losing my voice towards the end. But I spent hours really doing a passionate display of emotion during the course of that book. Why is this engine not starting? So whether it be you have a test in school coming up and in response, you do a bunch of jumping jacks. Isn't that a stupid reaction? How could anybody ever expect to pass a test in school by doing jumping jacks? Stupid. You have a big job interview in the morning. So what you do is you fervently chew bubble gum. Who in their right mind would think that's a good way to prepare for a job interview? Stupid, right? You have a broken engine, or at least it seems like it could be broken. And you want to fix the engine, so you respond by busting out your favorite storybook and reading it to your engine. Who in their right mind would think that's a good way to fix an engine? That is another stupid reaction. If you think those three situations and the corresponding response are stupid. I think how you and Christians all over the world respond to stress and anxiety is even stupider. Stress and anxiety is a constant part of our life. And I should know because For over a decade, I was on two different types of anxiety medications just to function. I suffered from debilitating depression. I'd go months without sleeping. Maybe my body would shut down for like two hours, and then I'd wake up and toss and turn all night. And when I just think about how people respond to anxiety, I think there's a number of different ways that they respond. Whatever is causing the anxiety doesn't really matter, but somebody's really, really anxious right now. So one of the ways that they react is they move away from whatever's causing them anxiety. Oh, I really want to ask her out. I'm too scared. I'm going to go in the other direction. Oh, I'd really love to start that business. Yeah, but what if it doesn't work? So I'm not going to do it. You know, it would be really sweet to get that promotion. Uh, But what if they say, no, I couldn't really take that. So I'm not even going to apply for it. Some people, when they get very, very anxious, when they get very nervous, they go in the other direction. That that may be a temporary short-term solution. It alleviates the anxiety. But it's an awful response. Some people might find themselves in a very anxious situation, and their response is to obsessively worry about it. I've got a big speech in three days. I'm not eating because I'm so nervous. I'm not hanging out with my friends because I'm so nervous. I'm not sleeping at night because I'm so nervous. It's just almost like I got this big thing coming up. I got this big endeavor coming up. I got this big event coming up, and I worry, and I obsess, and I obsess, and I worry, and I worry, and I obsess. As if that reaction is going to make the speech go better. As if that reaction is going to make everything okay. Sometimes we we find ourselves in a very anxious situation and we lash out at others 
we're very anxious about this big meeting that we have at three o'clock and you get in the office at eight o'clock. That's all you're thinking about. That's all you're worried about. That is taking up all of your mental bandwidth. And accordingly, you're short with your coworkers. People want your time. Not now. People expect to maybe enjoy some small talk with you, maybe do some playful banter like you usually do. And you're just, you're rude, you're curt, you're short. You're saying things maybe that you wouldn't normally say. You're leaving a bad impression. You're turning people off. In response to that anxiety, you're not being kind. You're not being open. You're not being generous. Your empathy is gone. That is a lousy way to react when you have anxiety. So if somebody, whatever it is, if something is causing you stress, if something is causing you anxiety, if something is causing you worry, I would say 95% of the time we try to alleviate that worry by doing all the wrong things, obsessing about it, worrying about it, being short with other people, running away from whatever it is that is giving us that worry. Maybe we do things to try to take the worry away, like drinking a little bit, like unplugging from reality, not being around our friends and family, binge watching our favorite television show. There are some people that eat to alleviate some of that anxiety and depression. And I would say all of these are the wrong response. Just like it's stupid to think that you're going to pass a test in school by doing jumping jacks. Just like I think it's stupid to think you're going to ace a job interview by chewing bubble gum. Just like I think it's stupid that you're going to repair a broken engine by reading a book to your car. I think all of those things that I just said are even stupider reactions to anxiety. Now, again, I do realize anxiety isn't just man-made it's not always something we can control sometimes there are some deep-seated anxiety reasons biochemical physiological pharmacological so i'm not trying to put those people off or i'm not trying to say that i don't know what that's like because i suffered with that but we can still choose healthier ways to react to that and scripture tells us exactly what we're supposed to do when we're anxious. This comes to us from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Again, one of the things that I absolutely insist on with the C-Suite for Christ ministry is that we do not put stock in the human word. Paul said this, or Bob said this. I think we should still listen to each other. I think we should still acknowledge and heed the ideas that everybody has to share. But don't make your firm foundation what that knucklehead, busted, broken, disgusting sinner Newberger had to say. Instead, our firm foundation is Scripture and the Word of Christ. And this is our roadmap. This is our guidepost. This is our instruction manual on how to live life. Let's just dissect Philippians chapter 4 verses six through seven a little bit. And I think this is going to make a lot of sense for those of us who struggle with anxiety and who sometimes don't cope with it 
in the most healthiest of, of manners. So do not be anxious about anything. Again, easier said than done. This is not saying don't get anxious because we all do. We're human beings. We're all going to be anxious. What this is saying is don't obsess about that anxiety. Don't let that anxiety be all-encompassing. Don't drown in that anxiety. Don't let this anxiety rob you of your peace and your rest. That's what it's saying. It's natural. I mean, we, we are built from a physiological perspective with this fight-or-flight mechanism. And that's one of the things they talk about, you know, the, the, the famous example if you've got like a caveman or something and out walks a saber toothed tiger, you would expect him to be anxious in that situation because that's a life survival mechanism. If his heart rate didn't go up, if his pulse didn't jack, if his pupils didn't dilate, he'd likely die. Oh, that's cool. What's that? All right. I'm with my walk. So again, you are going to have that fight or flight response once in a while. That is normal. That is healthy. That's a survival mechanism. What is not healthy is if you got a big speech on Friday, it's already Tuesday, you're three nights of insomnia, you're not eating, you're in the bathroom constantly because it's coming out of both ends. That's not healthy. We've all been there once in a while, but that's not healthy. So what this verse is telling us is do not let this anxiety become all-encompassing. Do not stew in it. Do not obsess about it. Do not let it take over your life. But in every situation, so every situation, I wouldn't say, I mean, again, if you want to pray all day, every day, good, because that's what it says in Scripture. We need to pray incessantly. But what this is saying is in those situations where you feel that stress really start to go up, where you feel it's starting to be all-encompassing, where it's really starting to envelop you and taking over your life, in all those situations, by prayer and petition, pray. And you know what? I mean, pray is probably the most common way of describing what that is. But I'll be honest, I really don't like the word pray. I, I love the action of praying. I think we all need to pray, again, like it says in Scripture, incessantly. But prayer can be a bit of an ambiguous term. Do I say a Hail Mary? Do I say an Our Father? Do I treat God like he's a gumball machine and I ask for a few things? What do I do? I would substitute the word prayer. Every time you see the word prayer, I would just substitute it with have a conversation with Jesus. That's what, because that's what prayer really is. A prayer is not like just a recitation of the Our Father. I mean, again, nothing wrong with that prayer, but you know, I just it's just you got it from memory. Prayer is not, hey, God, I want this, I want this. That that's not what it's there for either. Prayer is our ability to have an intimate conversation with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to talk to him, to be close to him, to feel his presence in our life because he's our best friend. He's our daddy. That that's what he wants. So when every one of those seriously anxious moments have a conversation with Jesus and by petition and thanksgiving petition would be where you would ask for something. And again, you're not asking for a car. You're not asking for a million bucks. I would also say you're not even asking for an outcome. Like get, let me have this job or I pray that the doctor comes back with no cancer again. That's fine, but it's always going to be God's will. And if it's God's will for you to have cancer, as weird as that sounds, or if it's God's will for you not to get this job, then it's very easy for people to say, well, God, don't you love me? He does. He's got a plan for you, 
life is always going to go according to his will. But petition, basically, if you remember, when Jesus was in the garden the night before he was to be handed over to be crucified, I mean, he was sweating bullets. I mean, he according to script, he was sweating blood. I mean, he was so anxious. He was so desperate to some degree to be relieved of this anxiety. And if you remember what he said, he basically said, God, dad, take this cup from me. But if it's your will, I'll carry this burden. That's what I look at the petition as. Petition God to remove the anxiety. Petition God to remove the stress. Petition God to give you that joy and that peace so that you can get some sleep, so that this isn't so encompassing. I wouldn't be petitioning God to get the job or petitioning God for that healthy diagnosis, even though once in a while that's probably okay. You know, let him know what you want. But petition him to take that away from you because God doesn't want you stressed. God doesn't want you anxious. God doesn't want you depressed. God, would you please take this cup from me with thanksgiving? Do you ever hear the saying, pressure is a privilege? I believe in that. I really do. If you're sitting down with a big potential donor, if you're sitting down with a big potential client, sure, you're going to be a little nervous. There's a lot riding on this. There's a lot of pressure. But in this case, you got in front of that donor. You got in front of that big prospect. You earned the right to sit there. You made him say yes to the meeting. You got him to be curious enough to meet you in your boardroom. That is a privilege. Pressure is a privilege. Game seven of the World Series. Well, we earned our spot here. We've played well all year. We've put ourselves in this position. Pressure is a privilege. You're going on your first date with the man or woman of your dreams. They're everything you want. They're attractive. They're nice. They're God-fearing. They're smart. That person thought enough of you to say yes to that date. Pressure is a privilege. Be thankful for the pressure because you earned it. Pressure for the job interview, pressure for the big meeting, pressure to lead a team, pressure to start that new business. You put yourself in this position because you've trusted God, because you took that leap of faith, because you went outside of your comfort zone. Pressure is a privilege. Offer up some thanksgiving to God. If you're facing maybe an unhealthy or you're facing maybe a potentially disastrous diagnosis, well, God, thanks at least for allowing me to, to live this long. God, thanks for allowing me to live in a country where we have really good medical care. God, thanks for allowing me to feel that pain now. So hopefully we caught this thing early. Give thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And then what's going to happen? Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of the things that I've received compliments for once in a while. I, I, I'm one of the busiest human beings on earth. As I said, three young kids traveling all the time. This ministry is exploding. I run several additional businesses. I have hobbies. I sit on boards, everything else. My life is like being on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange every single day. 
yet I sleep eight to nine hours a night, yet I'm off all of my anxiety medications. Yet I have more balance than I've ever had ever. My soul, I'm busier than I've ever been. The pressure is higher than it's ever been. And the decisions that I'm making are more important than they've ever been. Yet my soul has never been healthier. I, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense. The busier you are, the more stressed out you should be. The more risks that you're taking, the more freaked out you should be. The more you're running around and everything else, the less rest you should have, right? That's how I understand it. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It's supposed to be the opposite. It's supposed to go countercultural. It's supposed to go against this ways of the world. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like the armor of Christ. When you're in this moment where you're stressed out, when you're in this moment where it's all consuming, when you're in this moment where you just can't seem like you can take any more, rather than obsessing, rather than freaking out, rather than running in the other direction, rather than being a jerk to other people, rather than just letting this thing take over your life, pause, have a conversation with Jesus, petition him that he remove this stress cup from you offer even in the middle of that storm as much thanksgiving as you can muster and there should be a lot there's a lot of blessings in your life whether you see them or not and then humbly present your request to god and as you do that it's almost going to be like a superpower because this peace this tranquility this rest this protective barrier which makes no sense to the human mind, is going to guard your heart, guard your mind, and allow you to weather that storm. You've got a big test in school the next day. The appropriate thing to do would be to study for it. You've got a big job interview the next day. The appropriate thing to do would be to research the organization, learn as much about the corporate culture as possible, and get to know the people who are going to be interviewing you on a site like LinkedIn. You have a broken engine. The intelligent thing to do, the smart thing to do, would be to maybe call a friend over, read a book, watch a YouTube video, really study the engine to figure out what should be there, what's not. You're in the midst of an anxious season, a season full of worry and doubt. The appropriate response is to pause Take a breath, talk to Jesus, ask him to remove the cup, and give an account of thanksgiving for all the blessings that he so generously bestowed upon you, and watch how like a stick of butter on a hot summer day left out in the sun, it's all just going to melt away. My business problems, stresses, worries all melted away when I built a relationship with my good friend and brother in Christ, Tom Feldhusen, several years ago. Tom Feldhusen is an executive advisor. He was the best business decision I ever made. Sure, he's there to guide me from a business decision perspective. He gives me another pair of eyes. He's been around the block many, many times, and he knows what it 
basically takes to grow and scale your business. But Tom's unique specialty is all about your most important asset, which are your people. And if you're a Wisconsin CEO or business owner, you need to talk to Tom Feld, who's an executive advisor, because he's going to help you diagnose. Do you have the right people? Are they in the right spots? Are you meeting them where they're at? And as you start trying to fill additional positions, where do you find these people? Are we sure this person is going to be not only a cultural fit, but a cultural enhancer for our organization? He, without doubt, is my secret weapon, and he can be yours, too. So give Tom Feldhusen a call today at 262-305-2502. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back after a quick break with our guest of honor, Cheryl Gulo. Need a trade show display? A lobby renovation? Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken, faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. Ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com. And welcome back, everybody. Getting really excited because we're about 64.3 seconds away from uh, Cheryl Gulo, who is our uh, new president of the uh, Charleston chapter. And she is off to a very fast start, needless to say. But just want to remind you, you know, again, that this ministry cannot function on its own as this separate entity removed from everything else. I mean, again, we, we need each other if we're going to honor this mission to cover the world in Christ. And I would say that is one of the fundamental hallmarks of this ministry. Uh, as, a, as a busy person, as a busy executive, I know you're not hurting for things to do, but you know, you've heard me say this before. We're not a networking organization. We're not a professional development organization. Those things do happen. Of course they do. But again, you need to go to one more networking event like I need a swift punch in the face. So what we've decided to do is to create an oasis for business executives, a place where you can go, where you can lay it all down at the foot of the cross, a place where you can go, where you check your title, your organization and your previous work history at the door. And you just come as a vulnerable person and let us uh breathe life into your soul so that you can also say all is well with my soul. We'd love it. If you become a dues paying member, check to see if there's a chapter in your area. Again, Cheryl just recently launched the one in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, but to learn more, go to our website, which is csweetforchrist.com. Like I said, one of my uh, new all-time favorite people is uh, Cheryl Gulo, and she's been doing some amazing things, not only from a faith perspective, but also to further our ministry is the brand new chapter of the C-Suite for Christ Charleston chapter, and she's joining us now here on the podcast. Cheryl, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, yeah, and just very excited to pick your brain here on a couple of things. And as you know, from what we just discussed earlier, we're unpacking Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, which say this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A really nice verse there, 
Cheryl, specifically, what does Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven mean to you? You know, it's interesting because when we, when you asked me to, you know, share with you some thoughts on, on scripture, it's always so hard to find that scripture. That's the one you hang on to through life. The one that means so much to you. This particular scripture, I think, has just been a mainstay in my life because I was blessed to have the opportunity to grow up in a Christian home. Um, I had grandparents who were very faithful in and committed to their relationship to the Lord. And I think that this verse was demonstrated very well for me throughout my entire life. What I was able to see specifically with my grandparents, my grandfather lost his eyesight very early on. Um, my entire life, I knew my grandfather to be blind. And my grandparents had this incredible relationship. But what I watched them do was walk through every single challenge that they faced in life with turning to the Lord first. Every time my grandfather had to go back to the hospital for another surgery or there was another challenge or every single thing that I saw them face, I first saw them go to the Lord. And I, I think that for me was just such an incredible example and, and knew then as a young child. And then as I began to grow up and have my own challenges and begin to raise a family and all the things, um, I, I realized that this verse is so important and, and we need to know that that is where our foundation comes from. And when we have a strong foundation, then the storms of life can come, but we know that we'll be able to stand firm because we have that foundation. Yeah, amen to that. Off to a good start here. Appreciate you sharing that story. I think that's a really good example. Again, I think there's just a lot of powerful imagery in the first sentence of this verse. Again, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I love what that says. I love what that stands for. But again, I'm also going to be brutally honest here. I think to some degree, this verse could be in the easier said than done category and I, I just think a lot of people today in society, including Christians, struggle with this verse. It's hard to do. It's hard to surrender yourself. It's hard to give it to God. It's hard just to say, well, my life is falling apart all around me, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to throw this up to the big guy upstairs. Why do you think, Cheryl, this is why is this just such a difficult piece of scripture for Christians to live out on a daily basis? Well, you know, I and that's that's such a great question because, you know, it, it is hard. It's not, you know, we like you said, you can read this verse and it's like, "Oh, okay, I'll just give it to God." But then we think about that and and like you said, it isn't that easy, is it? But when when you really press into it, it actually is that easy. And and I thought about this um just the other day, you know, there's there's always something going on, right? We always have something going on in our lives. I don't care who you talk to. Everybody's got something going on. And the interesting thing is, is we're very quick to talk to a, talk to a friend. Um, I'm, I'm blessed to have my parents who are still, who are still here with us. And, you know, if I'm dealing with something, I'm so quick to pick up the phone and, and call mom or dad or my sister or a good friend. And that's easy for us. 
Or if you're like me, you like to solve problems. And so the the other go-to, I think, in today's society is self-sufficiency, self-love, self-care. Everything is about self, right? What I think we forget in that is that if it's just about us and if it's just about us being in control, we are going to see things begin to fall apart. The challenges are going to continue to get greater. Where I believe that if we take off what society is telling us, if we put that aside and instead of first going to self for the solutions, if we go to him first, if we go to God first, we go to him before we go to anyone else, it is actually incredible how that peace comes upon us. You know, I I grew up in the church, like I said, and I think when I was a kid, I think I thought that prayer was some kind of recipe, um, that it had to be very structured. Um, You had to have a specific time that you would sit down and pray. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a, a dedicated time where you sit and talk with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I do think that's incredibly valuable, important. But I think as I got a little bit older and, and using my grandparents as an example, I think what I realized is it's not so much in the structure or the planning. It's in the realizing that your first call should be to God. You know, before I call my sister, before I call my best girlfriend, before I call mom and dad, before I go and talk to my husband, the first thing I need to do is go to God. And it doesn't always have to be this structured, formal thing It's like having a conversation with your very best friend and talking to him and and letting it all out, letting it go and realizing that there is such a release in that and that he's got you. Um, I do think that in society right now, we're dealing with so many things. It is it is incredibly challenging to get through each and every day. We have so many ways that we can connect with other humans, but I think the most important thing is that we connect with God first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And and speaking as an individual who has uh, struggled with that over the course of my life, I think you hit on an important topic when it's this topic of self. And I think part of the reason so many people, especially these hard-charging men and women, these executives, these alpha people, part of the reason that we struggle with that so much is you hear from society today, you hear from the world today that self is the best way to go. Uh, Self-sufficiency is glorified. You hear things like, well, he's a self-made man or she's a self-made millionaire. You can do it yourself. You can figure it out yourself. You can, you know, you're talented enough to to figure out your path forward. And that's not what God calls us to do. God doesn't want us to be self-sufficient. God wants us to be totally dependent upon him, just like a child is dependent upon their parents. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because, you know, one of the things that you had said was maybe turning to a parent first or maybe turning to a friend first. I would agree with you that I think we should still turn to Christ first but even if you turn to a friend or a family member, yeah, probably not in the right order, but that I think that's still a healthy outlet to some degree. 
One of the things that I worry about is there's a lot of people in society today that when they're anxious, they turn to non-healthy things to try to alleviate that anxiety, that depression, that stress, that doubt in their head. Maybe it be, um, you know, uh, self-medicating a little too much. Maybe it be addictions or whatever it is. Um, or, or simply that they just retreat back into their comfort zone and say, well, you know, I'm thinking about taking that risk, but I'm not. Or I'm, I'm thinking about applying for that new job, but I'm not just because I've got this fear. Why do you think prayer is the absolute best remedy? Better than the, the self-medicating, better than the addictions, obviously, better than all those kind of things. Why is prayer the single greatest remedy when somebody's anxious, when somebody's worried? Well, so there's so many things. There's so many things I could say about that. Um, first and foremost, you know, just just to let your listeners know, um, I am a nurse by trade, and so you know, I have nothing against medication. Um, I actually, I don't know if you know this, Paul, but I I do have some pretty serious asthma, and it's something I've dealt with my entire life. Um, and I would never say you know what, I'm going to just give up on taking my asthma medication and just trust that it's all going to be okay. Because that's not something for me that has has been a way I've chosen to care for and tend to my medical condition. So I do want to be very careful when we talk about such things as anxiety. You know, I do believe that there are people that sometimes medication is definitely a helpful way to address that. Um, but I don't think it's the only answer. And I also don't think that self-medicating is ever the answer, um, except maybe a good piece of chocolate here and there. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Um, that being said, um, you know, when the to your question, why do I think that the best solution and the first solution should always be to go to God first? Um, it's what Jesus did. And, you know, I, I've had many mentors in my life, incredible mentors that have walked alongside of me and, and encouraged me and uplifted me and supported me and given me all the, the hurrahs and all the cheers and everything that I need. And, you know, reminded me, Hey, wait a minute, maybe that's not the way to, to handle this or that. The reality is though, the greatest mentor that I have ever had is Jesus Christ and, and reading the word and following what he did in his daily life. And when he was chased with, when he was faced with challenges, when he was put in situations where let's just, let's be real. I mean, you know, you're headed to the cross, you know, you're going to be nailed to a cross. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be tortured. You're going to be tormented. I mean, far worse than any, anything that I know I will ever have to face in my life. That's what he was facing. And what did he do? He went and spent time talking to the father. He went and spent time in prayer and he had the peace to be able to walk forward and move in that call that God had for him. And it was his purpose. And so if he went and had a conversation with God, the father before he went to the cross and he shared his thoughts, you know, he said, you know what? you could take this away from me. You know, if, if it's your will, take it from me. He didn't say, Hey, whatever you want. I mean, he did say if, if, if this cup could pass from me, let it pass. So, and yet 
that wasn't what happened, right? He did end up going to the cross. So I think sometimes people think that prayer is this magic wand, you know, or this, I'll go rub the, the lamp and the genie will pop out and I'll get my three wishes and there we go. That's not what it is. But Jesus was able to follow through with the mission he was here to fulfill with peace in his heart, with, with dignity, with grace. And I think we face in life, in our personal lives, in our professional lives. That's what I want to be known for. I want to be known for walking into whatever the circumstances are with grace and peace and dignity. I want people to be able to look at me and say, I don't know how she made it through that, but she did. Because when they say to me, how did you get through that? I didn't do it alone. I did it with my heavenly father. I did it with my best friend, Jesus. And they filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I had the power that I needed to get through that time. Yeah, that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for every single person associated with the C-Suite for Christ ministry. And I think that's the only way for us as Christians to live our life. It's not really pointing out the faults of others. It's not being judgmental. It's just when they see our actions, when they see our words, it's, you know, do, do they see Jesus through us? But I got to tell you, just, just what uh, Cheryl was kind of going through is just another reminder of why I love the C-Suite for Christ podcast so much, because you're always learning more about individuals associated with this ministry. So, so just like Cheryl self-medicates with chocolate, I self-medicate <laughs> with peanut butter. So just uh, I've been holding that in for too long. I got to share it with the world. Every so often, I just need a jar of Skippy. Just, uh, just saying. Uh, what? Well, what? Go ahead, Cheryl. Keep your peanut butter away from my chocolate because I am deathly allergic to peanut butter. So we cannot bring our chocolate and peanut butter together ever. Oh, and you're missing. Yeah, sure. Deathly allergic, sure for that. But boy, you're missing out. Reese's peanut butter cups and. Ah, oh, chocolate and peanut butter just goes so perfectly together. But uh, yes, yes. But but when I uh, the next time I see you, I will keep my jar of Skippy in my suitcase. Needless to say, <laughs> no problem. Uh, well, one of the things, but I do want to dive deeper though because you had hit on a topic there that I think is really important, and that topic is prayer. Prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have. As Christians, prayer is a wonderful opportunity for us to develop a really intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. But, you know, and this ties into the verse as well, too. I, I have had many Christians in my life, and I, I've heard from these people, conversations, LinkedIn, whatever, that uh, according to them, they, they, they don't pray a lot because they don't think prayer works. You know, they've asked God for things. I, I pray that this happens. I pray that this doesn't happen, and for whatever reason— those prayers weren't answered. Um, these individuals are, are, are looking at prayer very skeptically. So they read a verse like this. They might say, nah, I tried that prayer thing. It doesn't work too well. Are, are they wrong? And why or why not? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, honestly, it's kind of like what I said. You know, I think that if we look at prayer like the genie in the bottle, you know, or that magic wand, if we look at prayer in that way, Sure. I mean, we probably all have stories where we could say, well, that didn't work. Um, you know, and there's so many ways that you can look at that. I happen to have, I'm I'm one of five kids. I have five children. I have five grandchildren. Um, and you mentioned it, you know, earlier on where 
it's that it's like that relationship that you know you have as a parent with a child or a child with a parent sometimes the answer is yes sometimes the answer is no and sometimes the answer is not right now and as a parent you know i as a kid I didn't love that when my parents said no or when they said not right now. As a parent, I became much more aware of how that's the reality. Sometimes I just know more than what my my child may they may have a request and because I have more experience because I know more, I know that what they're asking for isn't going to be beneficial for them. It's not going to be good for them as a person. It may be dangerous um, or I have a better plan for them and they don't know yet. You know, maybe there's a surprise waiting for them. They want to go out this weekend and we've got a surprise trip planned for them and we haven't even told them about it. And, and I say no to what they're asking for, knowing that I have something better for them. Um, and so that's that no, but maybe there's something better. So I think that's one way of looking at it. The other thing is, you know, the reality is, I think, once again, we think about prayer in a way where it's like, that genie in the bottle, I'm going to go, I'm going to give my list of requests, I'm going to hope, you know, and hope that I get my answer. Um, but I think one of the things that was helpful for me was when I began thinking about prayer, not as a way to list off my requests, but it was a way for me to communicate and grow in my relationship with the Lord. Um, and that's where that peace does come from. That's where that that trust grows, where that relationship deepens. You think about it in, in human relationships as well. Um, you know, think about your spouse or a good friend, we grow in our relationship and understanding of that person the more time we spend connecting with them. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is about connecting with God. It's, it's I think, a misconception that it's always about a list of things to ask for, um, but it's connecting with them. I don't get mad at my sister if I share some of my my pains and my hurts and my sorrows and she doesn't fix them, I don't get mad at her. I'm thankful that she was there to listen. I'm thankful that she put her arm around me and gave me a hug. I'm thankful that she cried with me. That's the kind of relationship that we build when we build a continual daily prayer life with the Lord. Um, you know, there's times that you connect with a friend through a text message. It's a quick little message. There's times that you get on the phone and you talk with them. There's times that you sit down in person and you talk with them, or you may send them an email or even have a conference call and include some other people. That's when I, when we think about our relationship with God, I think we have to think about our prayer life in that way. There's going to be times where it's going to be that sit down and really have that deep, deep relationship, relational conversation. I also think there's times where it's a quick text, or maybe it's a group of you talking with the Lord together. But when we do those things on a regular basis, we grow in that relationship with him and that peace that goes beyond all human understanding just becomes a part of who you are. And it's not about, did I get that thing I wanted? Did it work out exactly the way I wanted? 
that kind of starts to go by the wayside when you build a continual deepening relationship with the Lord. Yeah, well said. And Cheryl, I had a feeling this was going to happen. It always happens when I'm talking to you, but time really does fly. We got about 60 seconds left here. So what I'd like to do again is one of the newer leaders in the C-Suite for Christ family. Obviously, you decided to to heed the call that God put on your life to become a, a licensee to plant a chapter in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So I suppose in about a minute or so, uh, why did you want to become a C-Suite for Christ chapter president? And why should the uh, Christian business executives in your area consider joining your ministry? So you're giving me 60 seconds to answer that. Um, I am giving reality... you sit where you're down to 57. <laughs> get moving. So the reality is, is I, I really pressed into prayer. Um, and you, you know that, you know, it wasn't a sure. I'll, I'll just jump right on board and do that. There was a lot of time that I took, um, talking to the Lord about it and really seeking whether or not this was his call and his purpose for me. Um, and what it all comes down to is I believe in the mission and the vision of C-Suite for Christ. I believe in the importance of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ across the entire world. But in order to do that, we've got to start right in our backyard. And um, I I live in Polly's Island, South Carolina, right outside of Charleston. So that is my backyard. And I believe that in order for us to cover this world in Christ, we need to start right in our backyard. And it will be an incredible honor and blessing for me to have many people come alongside me um, as we grow and develop this ministry here in South Carolina in partnership with you for C-Suite for Christ. Well, yeah, really appreciate that. That was 64 seconds, so I'm a little disappointed in you. You got to work harder. Cheryl, let's go here. I'll do my best. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we got some work to do there. But at the end of the day, you know, my, my my goal was for all of you to to really twofold. One, and we try to do this on every single episode of the C Suite for Christ podcast. It, we're not just a big international ministry, although we are. It it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with quantity. It has more to do with quality. The quality of the people that are involved with this ministry is, is just unrivaled. It's unparalleled. These are people that really take their relationship with Jesus Christ seriously. These are people that have built their life around honoring the Great Commission. And, I, and I, it's just my prayer that that really came out in this conversation with Cheryl. But, but also, you know, there's so much that we carry around every single day. There's so much uh, stress and anxiety and worry and all these other things in our life. Isn't it nice just to have a place where you can go, where you can lay it all down, where you can just be vulnerable, where you can have other people breathe life into your soul? And now the uh, Charleston, South Carolina area has that. And so for anybody that's interested, uh, go to our website, csweetforchrist.com. You can access the South Carolina website from the home office. And I know Cheryl would, uh, would love to talk to you. So Cheryl, as always wish we had more time, my friend, but, uh, really do appreciate the conversation and, uh, thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom with us. Thanks. It's been great. Absolutely. Don't go away gang. We're going to be back after a very quick break with some closing remarks. Well, as we get ready to say goodbye here on another episode of the C-Suite for Christ podcast, I don't even know what to say about Cheryl Gulo. Again, uh, she's just one of the most remarkable Christian women I've ever met. And it's such a blessing to have her leading the new chapter in Charleston, South Carolina. So if you're in the Charleston, South Carolina area, you got to reach out to Cheryl. Give her a call. 
Find her on LinkedIn. Send her an email. You can also connect with her via our website, csweetforchrist.com. Her chapter is growing quickly. So if you want to be in on the ground floor of becoming one of their first members, taking advantage of all of those member benefits, building intimate, strong, passionate relationships with those Christian business executives in your area, do yourself a favor and prayerfully consider joining her chapter in Charleston, South Carolina today. Real quick, uh, we did discuss today Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just like we thought it was dumb to prepare for a test in school by doing jumping jacks or to get ready for a job interview by chewing gum or to try to fix a car engine by reading a book to your car, I think it is insane to respond to anxiety in any other way other than having an intimate conversation with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, asking him to remove the cup of anxiety, doubt, worry, stress from your mind, presenting all of the blessings in your life back to him in thanksgiving and asking that he guard your heart and mind during this season of stress. That is our superpower because that's what it says in Scripture. If you believe in the Bible, if you believe that this is the infallible word of God, this is your roadmap. This is your instruction manual. So when you feel that stress coming on, when you feel that anxiety coming on, that is the perfect time for prayer. That is the right response to that situation. I'll tell you one good response for you to make. If you love listening to people like Cheryl Gulo, if you love listening to people like anyone who has ever appeared on the C-Suite for Christ podcast, could you imagine joining a ministry that has thousands and thousands of people just like them? Well, that's exactly what you would get at C-Suite for Christ, and it would be an absolute blessing to have you become an official dues-paying member of our ministry. To learn more, go to our website, csuiteforchrist.com. I'm Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ, and we'll see you back here next time. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csweetforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here. I will keep you in my dreams when I leave here. I won't forget you, no, no. I won't forget you. You're like one of a kind and my eyes light up when i think about you i won't forget you life goes on and on and